We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's the voice of St. Louis KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to spend a couple of hours together talking about uh, various things. I'm the miscellaneous man. I've got uh, all kinds of stuff in the hopper for you, including a politician, a recovering narcissist, a news reporter from One American News Network, Jack Posobiec, uh, and an update on the Fundly account fundraiser that he actually set up from Washington, D.C., for the David Dorn family here in St. Louis. We're going to find out what that number has risen to and find out what else is going on in his world. We also have a St. Louis musician that's been around a very long time, ironically wrote a song in support of law enforcement several years ago, and uh, he and I were uh, together about a year ago, and I videotaped him performing the song, and so we're going to listen to a little bit of that. We're going to meet the artist and songwriter John Gaynor, on the program as well. So stick around. Uh, but I do want to tell you, I got into a new pastime. You've been hearing me drone on about drones, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to David Gruber. He's uh, from St. Louis Drone Pros. He had a job that he had to do last week, and he asked me to to go along with him just to shadow him while he flew one of these you know really legit, expensive drones. And so I did. Uh, we went up to the St. Charles County area, and there was a big industrial building that he had to shoot video of externally, and uh, to do it internally as well. But that didn't happen that day. But we did get. To, he did get to fly around this hundred and fifty thousand square foot building, which seemed like when that drone was on the other side of the building, seemed like a mile away. It wasn't quite that far, but it was far. Well, lo and behold, I was just honored to see the man operate this, you know, real legit drone. And he gets done doing what he had to do, and he takes the lanyard off of his neck that holds the controller and puts it right over my head and around my neck. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to crash this thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. It, it's not going to crash. I promise you. I promise you. So a uh, shout-out to Dave Gruber. Uh, uh, get me a little experience with a real drone as opposed to my $100 cheapie that I bought online, which I wouldn't recommend that for anybody because it's gone. It, it just ma- massive drone fail. But, you know, at the beginning of the coronavirus, we were all urged to do things differently, including maybe, uh, you know, get a new hobby. You know, figure out what you want to do with your time, uh, because we have more time on our hands, it seems like, during as the isolation continues. And can you believe that we are, uh, you know, getting into August and we're still doing this? It's just amazing. I digress. Um, a few weeks ago, I'll say, about maybe a month and a half ago, I was in a pawn shop, and I've always wanted to have a metal detector you know i like i like gadgets i always wanted a metal detector and there was one that was you know inexpensive and i i look on my phone of course you know that's what you do when you shop you compare prices on the internet uh to what i was looking at in person and it seemed like a great buy and then i decide i'm gonna get it 
I don't know how to do this. I've never done it in my life. I don't think I'll ever be on a beach in my Bermuda shorts searching for coins and pull tabs and nails. But uh, you never know. You never know, especially when you hear a story like this out of Scotland. Uh, a guy finds his late mother's lost wedding ring she lost back in like 1986, I think it was, in their garden. And it turns out that uh, the family were, you know, were thrilled, of course, to be reunited with their late uh, matriarch's wedding ring. Uh, But what's amazing, it's been so long. Now, I don't believe that a metal detector was part of the discovery of this ring. But what's amazing is uh, is this ring was created back in 1950 and she wore it and then found out she lost it. Like like I mentioned, 1986 and was so heartbroken. And to find it this many years later, uh, the, the home actually had new owners. They discovered this uh, this wedding ring beneath a foot of mud while digging a new patio in their yard. And they, so they contacted the previous owners. I just think that's such a class act that they did that. And uh, so that story right there motivates me to get into metal detecting. I will be sure to keep you posted on that endeavor. We've got a big show for you. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got a lot of great guests, so stick around. Coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX, a recovering narcissist. It's The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. Thank you for joining me. Uh, hard question, really hard question. Are you a narcissist or, or do you know a narcissist? A narcissist is a personality disorder involving, this is according to Google, involves a pattern of self-centered arrogant thinking and behavior, a lack of empathy and consideration for other people, and an excessive need for admiration. And guess what? There's a book about it. The man's name is Larry White, who wrote it, and it all starts with his wife. Welcome to KMOX, Mr. White. How are you, sir? Good, good. Glad to be here. How did it all start with your wife? Well, both of us had a history of of, uh, trying to find our way through with uh, psychotherapy and she had a lot of uh, concerns, and I had too. I had already been thrown out of therapy, and I had—I <laughs> got thrown out because I couldn't get in touch with my feelings. Okay. My therapist, a pretty well-known guy named Sheldon Cop, he just couldn't handle it, and, told, and, and said if I if I left, I wouldn't come back. So he—I had to go on a business trip, and he, that was an opportunity for him to professionally say, "Okay, you're gone." But my wife. Um, she apparently discussed with this uh, with her therapist, uh, you know, what what am I going to do with this guy? And I mean, I'd had a whole lifetime with her of failures, and uh, I mean, I would I would get a job and then either get fired or quit. So she she one evening uh, came to me and she said, "Look, uh, I want you to read this." And I read the, the DSM five with the, the uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, fifth, fifth edition. Okay. And and, and it, it has the nine characteristics of of, uh, of a narcissist. And if you have five of those, you have a, a personality disorder. And, and I sat there and I read that. And how many did you check off? A nine. Oh no. <laughs> I what what she she had been seeing this therapist, and then she asked me. Uh, if I would go see her, because and that's very common when somebody, when a, a spouse is seeing a therapist, for them to ask them to go see their, to get another picture. Yeah. So I went over there and and um, talked to the therapist. Had no idea what was happening. I just thought, you know, she wanted to see what what was going on with me. And she then told Christina, she said, "Don't confront him." She said, "He's he is a narcissist, and if, and they they he's not going to be responded. It's just going to ruin your relationship. So don't do it." Well, fortunately, she didn't take his her advice, and she did confront me. Oh and no! I sat there and I just broke out in a cold sweat when I read that. Wow! I realized I realized that the 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 
that described my life. And as I sat there, I, 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 could, I had all kinds of, rem- of, of, of memories of places where I've been so arrogant and, and where my empathy had been totally gone. And uh, I, I agreed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a narcissist. But where, where do we go from here? Right. It's not a switch you can just flip. This, and this all happened. I want to reference this. This all happened back in the early 90s uh, when, yes, you, when, when you realized uh, that you had a narcissistic personality disorder. Um, was she a narcissist as well, or are, are we all a little no, narcissistic? Not, no, not at all. She, she was, no, she was just the opposite. She was very empathetic. Um, she, she, um, she may have had some, some, well, she obviously had some personality traits, but they weren't narcissistic at all. Okay. Uh, so what happened, the end, what happened then was I had just been, I had, I was in the process of being fired from the job I had at that point. And I was for, fortunately offered another job in, in Alexandria, Louisiana as a chief, as a chief executive officer. So. I couldn't stay there in, in, in Florida and, and see her therapist or any other therapist. I, I had to figure out how I, how I was going to take it from there. So I came to, I came to Alexandria. And while I knew I was a therapist, I, I knew I was a uh, narcissist. I was still manifesting all of the characteristics of narcissism. And um, it, was, uh, it wasn't until 2015 that I had an experience which in which I, I I just dropped it. It was an epiphany, and it just I dropped it, and that that made all it was it was like night and day. I, I suddenly experienced empathy for the first time, and my personality really changed. People who knew me saw it and committed, you know, agreed it it was gone. Well, I'm 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 sure that I, I that if you everybody has a personality trait, and I'm sure that that I still have a trait of, nar- of being narcissistic, at least to some degree, but that's very, very different from having the, dis- the disorder, and right. I don't have the disorder anymore. Right. We're talking with Larry White. He has wrote an Amazon best-selling book, Confessions of a Zen Narcissist. Give me a, a narcissistic moment that you personally, Larry White, uh, could describe for people that are listening going, hmm, I don't know if I'm a narcissist. Give me an example of, of how your maybe wife had recognized, man, this guy, whew, this guy's all about himself. Uh, it mentions in your bio that you were unhappy. You were unhappy in life, although you were very successful in business. Yeah, I was successful in getting jobs. I wasn't successful in keeping them. Right. And um, I, um, uh, yes, uh, very early on, I, I realized that there was that there was something wasn't right. And uh, I, uh, when I, when I went to college, uh, I, I, it became really clear to me that I'd be kind of living in a, in a strange bubble and I, I needed to come out into the real world. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was tough. I, 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 I was, I was very protected in the, in, as I was growing up and, um, my mother was extremely dominant, which is very common with, with, uh, narcissists, I think. Wow. And so, okay. um, I was I was uh, what they call the golden child. The, the apparently I didn't do any studying about narcissism until after I'd written the book. Thank <laughs> goodness. I never, I, I never would have written it otherwise. Right. Because what I did when I wrote it, I just I just let my feelings and my experiences hang out. I didn't try to analyze them or compare them with anybody else. But what I learned afterwards was that uh, it's very very common for uh, it's a. a a, a mother to be responsible for one's narcissism because it, it apparently frequently comes from a family that looks like they're happy and comfortable and 
there's no violence or sexual deviation or any problems like that. Right. What what apparently what I think happened with me is my mother was not happy with my father and he was not the kind of person. He wasn't the man that she really wanted to be married to. So she decided to create one. And so she she, in, a, in effect, created me as 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 the spouse she would have wanted. Now, there's nothing there was nothing sexual. No, I understand. I understand. And. Uh, so I was raised to be special and, uh, that, the, that there was something particularly very, very unique about me and that I, I was different and that, uh, I, I, I was, I was expected to succeed. It was as though I didn't have to do anything about it. It was just going to happen. Well, when I got out in the real world, uh, everybody wasn't agreeing with that decision. And, um, so I, I was, I was struggling. I really, I knew I, Something was missing, and I, I saw a therapist when I first got went to college, and uh, they hadn't defined uh, narcissistic personality disorder yet. In fact, that DSM five, the DSM one, hadn't even come out yet. But uh, he said, you know, you're never going to be hospitalized for anything that's wrong with you. But he said, you're probably never going to stay in a job for very long, and you're going to you're going to go from job to job to job. Well, that's what I did, and um, I. I when I got an opportunity to, I, uh, I, I became, a, when I was in college, I uh, met uh, Alan Watts and uh, spent a weekend with him and, at, at the college. It was at Deep Springs College in California. And um, I became a Zen Buddhist and uh, became a meditator. And uh, that, was, that was important to me. And all of Christina's friends, we, we were running, I was running a alcoholism treatment program at the time right. in Washington, D.C. And she came to work with me and her friends were good therapists. And they, when they saw us getting together, they said, they said, don't do that. This is not going to work. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> red but, flag, uh, red flag, red flag. So let me guess. Right. Let me, let me ask you, Larry. Um, so in the prediction that you would go from job to job to job, was the prediction also that you would go to, from relationship to relationship to relationship? I had a number of, uh, of affairs, but they they were they were good examples of my narcissism because uh, I didn't I didn't have a mistress or I didn't spend the night with anybody. I just had sexual uh, adventures, which were very unsatisfactory because I was a lousy lover and <laughs> with, with, with no with no empathy. I mean, it was it was very also re- also recognized by your dear wife Christina, the uh, the angel that's in your life. <laughs> <laughs> she knew she she yeah, she knew she knew it was going on and why she stuck with me I don't know but I'm really glad she did. I bet I bet okay hold on we're going we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back because I believe that everybody has a little bit of narcissism and I want to find out a little bit more uh about that and and helping people because this is a, a kind of a self-help book uh Larry White is our guest he wrote a book called uh, Confessions of a Zen Narcissist and we'll be back after this break on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX it's the voice of St. Louis KMOX. My guest is an author who wrote a book called Confessions of a Zen Narcissist. His name is Larry White, and his wife back in the early 90s, uh, Christina, recognized this. And I, I have to know, was there a tipping point for her that she said, okay, something's up with this guy? And she obviously went and did some homework on it to figure out to put this little nine-step test in front of you. Uh, has she ever revealed to you what that one thing was that made, made her uh, uh, confront you with this? No, I think it was just the, it, it just gone on far, too far. I mean, I had, uh, um, I had a number of jobs and they all lasted maybe about a year. And, uh, 
I, I had um, uh, been working for, at a hospital in Orlando as a marketing director, and uh, that that was uh, falling apart. And um, I think she just recognized that this had gone far enough, and she was in therapy and got to discussing it with her therapist. Okay. But it wasn't it wasn't one big dramatic thing. It was a whole series. If it wasn't for her, you might have never known. So I, I want to know right. about your healing process uh, and your your fixing this situation because you know I believe that a lot of powerful people are narcissists uh, that they you know that it's their world and we're all just living in it. And it wasn't until 2019 that you wrote the book, uh, but you've been working on yourself ever since you realized that you had this uh, this personality dis- disorder, if you call it, back in the early 90s. That's right. Well, I think one of the things that I'd like to share with people, I think is very important, is that, you know, we all we all have to develop our ego and a self as we grow up. Right. But as, as we become uh, teenagers and adults, we, we move beyond it. And and all of the religions of the world, in one in one way or another, are saying, you know, you got to drop yourself and 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 experience God or what or whatever. Uh, of course, Buddhism is not experiencing God, but it's but everybody has to deal with this whole illusion of self. And what I came to realize uh, was that uh, narcissism is the ultimate uh, illusion. In other words. For a narcissist, yourself is the whole reality. It's the whole world. Wow. And, and, and you've known people, and there's some famous narcissists that we may or may not want to uh, mention, uh, who, if you, if, you, if you watch them, you can see that they, there's no empathy. There's no concern for other people. They're not out to get other people. It's just that they, the whole world is around them. What's, what's, what is good for them? How do they? And, and so... Um, I would say that 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 this whole self thing is a continuum. On the on the left side is the is the narcissistic personality disorder who experiences his self as the only thing. And on the right side, way down the continuum, is the enlightened being. Not me. I am not an enlightened being, but <laughs> I am a little ways down that that, that continuum. And uh, and there, the whole self, the whole illusion of self, and the whole I me thing t- disappears. So the question then is, uh, here's here's what here's what I think. First of all, somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder is not available for treatment because they they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Right. The thing that was different with me was that I really felt I was a failure and a fellow and I was in pain. That doesn't happen very often for for a narcissist. If it does, well then, he's open to look at alternatives, Uh, but. I've in writing that book, I didn't have any illusions, and I don't now that I can help a narcissist. I may be able to help people who have to live with one or work with one or, or a therapist who has to deal with people who are narcissistic. Sure. And, and the, but the, and the only way that I can be helpful is to point out some of my some of my experiences and, and a couple of there's a couple of things that I think are really crucial. One one is that there's there's no empathy. There's no there's no feeling of love. My father used to harp at me about, well, you're not loving. What? I didn't know what he was talking about. Sure. And ironically, one of my first jobs, I went to work for the Quakers, for the National, uh, for the Quaker lobby in Washington, D.C. And I was their marketing guy. So I went around to all the Quaker meetings and talked to people and raised money. And I was confronted by some pretty heavy Quakers saying, you know, you're not loving. What, what, what's, what's the matter with you? And I, I didn't know what they were talking about. 
But it wasn't until that time in 2015 when I finally dropped it. I, dro I dropped this, this uh, attachment to that, that, that self in that tight kind of way that I just suddenly experienced empathy. And I, it, was a, it was a new experience for me. I didn't and, know what it was before. Okay, we're talking with Larry White. He wrote uh, an Amazon best-selling book. Congratulations on that, Confessions of a Zen Narcissist. And this is really something for, if you're a narcissist, do, do you know it, number one? Or if you know somebody in the description of what uh, Google says a narcissistic personality disorder is, is they're cocky, manipulative, selfish, patronizing, demanding. Number one, is there a cure? Or is it just like going to therapy? Or is it uh, connecting with a higher power like your, your Zen following? I'm not a therapist. My own insight at this point is that if a person is a narcissist, this is going to be a rare situation. But if there is a, a narcissist who discovers or comes to the conclusion that he or she, it's usually a he, uh, is a narcissist, then what do you do next? Okay. One possibility is to get into therapy. The other possibility is to get into a spiritual practice. If you're a Christian, keep being a Christian. Sure. Find somebody to, to, to help you do it. If you don't have a spiritual past, you may want to consider Buddhism. I'm not selling Buddhism, but it's it's very that's it, worked for important. you. It, work, it works for me. Yes, yes. Uh, but I think I think there's a universal problem, and I think there is a solution in 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 a in a spiritual path to deal with it. And then what what that really is going to come down to, it's going to come down to a recognition uh, that you're hanging on to this ego thing, which is an, which is an illusion, and it's going to amount to a surrender. Absolutely. I, I, I once heard, actually, uh, the term, the word ego is edging God out, an acronym for edging God out. And I, yeah. you say uh, you don't know where it began or, or when your wife, Christina, recognized it and brought it up to you and confronted you about it. But uh, you mentioned in 2015 you had a feeling of empathy, and I wonder how distinct that memory was uh, specifically, uh, because I would remember the first time I, you know, parachuted out of a plane or, you know, did something crazy or a feeling that I had never had before. Do you remember that first feeling of empathy that you had? Oh, yes. It was very, very specific. It was very interesting. I was standing in my kitchen. It, it merged with, with, with my perception of mind or ultimate uh, reality and, okay. and I just thought, I thought oh wow and, and I, I was thought it was quite amazing then the next day uh Christina it was it was uh, it, it was happening in November and Christina uh wanted to go to um the uh Hobby Lobby uh to pick a bunch of stuff up for Christmas well I never cared for Hobby Lobby it right. was a it, it it bothered me. I mean, I didn't like the music, and I didn't care for the people. And <laughs> you're not it, into it crafts. <laughs> it, it wasn't well, yeah. But I would go with her because she wanted to, and I'd be walking along behind her with the basket, putting all the stuff into it that she wanted. And so we're headed back to the to the uh, uh, cash register, and I looked around and I thought, "Geez, this this is a really a beautiful store. I mean, this, this store is really really quite quite attractive." <laughs> and these women that 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 I felt put off by. You know, long dresses and obviously very uh, orthodox evangelical types. And I thought, oh, my God. And I thought, you know, I realized these are just loving, caring kind of. I just had a very different feeling. Wow. And I, I walked in the mall every day. There is a tremendous problem <clears throat> with obesity. So when you walk in the mall. So I've always been kind of pretty judgmental in my own mind about people like that. And so I'm walking in the mall and instead of my usual feeling of kind of contempt, I, I, I felt I, I, I was feeling this kind of feeling of compassion that wow. people who had this kind of problem were still out there 
doing their job and not worrying about it. And just as though it were, I mean, they had a lot of courage. Sure. And it, 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 so yeah, there were some immediate, immediate responses of the feelings that I had. And, Fantastic. Uh, Before we go, tell me real quick, uh, what, what the name of that test is. If people want to take this uh, personality disorder test, uh, actually you, you can go to Amazon and pull up my book and, and, and you can actually, I think read the back page without even paying for it. Okay. Right, <laughs> well, no, we're selling if, books here, man. <laughs> no, that's all right. If you want to, if you want to get a, a Kindle version, uh, it's, it's not, it, it's free at the moment on Amazon. If you want the Kindle version of my book. So wonderful. Do it. All right. Confessions of a Zen narcissist. That is Larry white. It's his world and we're all just living in it. Not no more. And I wish you well with your book, sir. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. I'm glad you, uh, Ask me to join you for this. Election day is coming quick, and I have, as my next guest, somebody running for St. Louis Circuit Attorney against Kim Gardner. Mary Pat Carl is next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and when you see the headlines of today in this city, in this county, in this state, in the country, in the world, you think, what can I do as, as a citizen? What can I do to make a difference? Voting is your right to make differences and making changes. My guest right now is Mary Pat Carl, uh, who is running for St. Louis Circuit Attorney. Welcome to KMOX, ma'am. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. What I'd like to find out is at what point in your, you know, recent life here that you decided, you know what, I want to do, I want to run for this. I want to make a change. Last year, we lost 12 children in gun violence in six months. I'm a mom. I've got a stepdaughter in college. I've got a 10, 8, and a 7-year-old. And, you know, not only to the families that lost a child experiencing that heartbreak and trauma, but I kept thinking about what it would mean for kids to go back to school and sit next to an empty desk. On those desks of our kids, nobody was coming forward. Witnesses weren't talking. And really, our elected officials, did, I thought, didn't quite seem angry enough about losing kids. So I decided that I was going to stand up and speak for those kids that we lost. Do you feel like you're getting the traction you expected, or are you surprised at the, uh, the reaction you're getting? Um, I'm not surprised by it. I think people are really frustrated with the lack of leadership that's happening in the circuit attorney's office um, that, you know, we have, we're on track right now to have over 200 homicides this year and people want to plan. And so once I started releasing information about um, what I would do, um, what I would accomplish and how I would go about it, um, I think people, it really resonated with people. You know, running for public office like this uh, is, is, you know, something that you had to have spoke with your family about because it is you are sacrificing your whole family for not only your time uh, to run for office, but once, you know, you get the position, hopefully, uh, that it is going to be a demand on you and uh, your husband, your kids all behind you on this. They are. They are active volunteers. My kids have worked on the campaign they love it. And, um, you know, I think it means something to, to be a parent that, that sends a message that if you see a problem, it's up to you to fix it. And I think that's the lesson my kids are taking from that. Wow. Well, you know what? I, I commend you for having the uh, passion to do this, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, some, some of us just don't feel like we have the ability to or, or the education to, to do something like this. But people can vote. How do you feel that you are different uh, in, in this race? One is that I really believe in transparency. Right now, we have a lot of people that don't trust our criminal justice system. And I think, you know, they feel that it is, it, that there's racism and that it's biased. 
And I think that in order to get people to feel that it's their system and it belongs to them and that we're doing the right thing, it's to release the data. It's to be accountable to the people about what's going on down there. You know, I want to throw open the doors and pull back the blinds on our judicial system for people. So, you know, my opponent won't answer sunshine requests and judges have had to step in and tell her that she has an obligation to answer. I won't wait until I get a sunshine request. I'm going to release information to the public because, you know, to, to know that our system, that we're working, working hard to make sure that it's free from bias, it's going to be in the numbers. And I'm going to give those to people. You know, and I, th- I think it's it's tough when you see a story that is making national attention, like the story on the McCloskeys and, and the charges brought against them. The problem is, is that it's so much more than just that one story of the, I don't even want to call it corruption, but disruption in our judicial system here, uh, because it goes further than the, the ones that, you know, make the national headlines. The McCloskeys have been all over national news. I don't think I would have done much, uh, anything much different than, than they did if I was, you know, facing two to 300 people uh, saying violent things to me at my doorstep. Um, but but your this job, St. Louis Circuit Attorney, goes so much deeper. It's about the relationship with the police department. I think you're right. I mean, on on about the attention that one case is getting and where our attention really should be. I mean, my opponent held a press conference to announce an investigation into this one incident, and I'm not weighing in on whether they should or shouldn't be charged. I think that that's irresponsible and unethical sure. as a prosecutor until I've reviewed evidence. And I'm not asking but, you to do that at all. Sure. No, I get that. But what's really frustrating is is that we've lost 11 children this year to gun violence, 12 last year, over 60 children shot at, over 150 homicides. None of those got a press conference. None of those got the attention of our prosecuting attorney. And I think that there are a lot of grieving mothers out there, a lot of grieving family members that wish their children or their family got half the attention that one couple in the Central West End got. We're talking with Mary Pat Carl, and uh, she is running uh, for office, uh, and it's uh, it's next week. And I, I will say this. I've been on your website and going through all the different pages and stuff. There's very small words that say uh, the election is Tuesday, August 4th. And I was expecting, like, this big vote August 4th. Um, so just a critique on your website. Anyway, let's talk. <laughs> let, no, no, no. Let's talk about the, you know, because people need to know. It's like they call it two-by-four marketing. you got to let them know you got to show up on Tuesday. Um, but I want to talk about your endorsements. How proud are you and your family that you have the endorsements of so many great organizations in our area? You know, it's fantastic. And I'm also really proud that we have some endorsements that we weren't able to get last time. Um, Last time, St. Louis Firefighters, um, Local 73, they didn't weigh in on the race. They didn't endorse anybody at all. And it really means something that they see a problem here and that um, that they endorse me. And the St. Louis Young Democrats as well. I did not have that endorsement when I ran in 2016, and I have that endorsement now. Good for you. And then Democratic clubs across the city um, have stepped up to endorse, which is a big deal when you're running against an incumbent. And and I'm so I'm so proud of people that are willing to take a stand and do what's right here. Okay, so I gave you a slight critique on your website from my personal view, but I, I do want to commend you for laying out the first hundred days that if Mary Pat Carl is uh, the St. Louis Circuit Attorney, starting on day one, you want to get to work. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have any time to waste here, not with the level of homicides and violence in the city that we're experiencing. 
And I think people were hungry for a plan. You know, it's one thing for politicians to talk about their values or their ideas. But it's another thing to say, this is how it'll play out for me. And this is what you can expect immediately. And, you know, their topics range. I mean, one thing I want to do is form um, a community council where the people that are getting hardest hit by violence have a voice in policy in the circuit attorney's office. And I'm not a person who um, likes committees where we sit around and drink coffee and eat donuts. I'm talking about getting prosecutors out in the communities, talking to people with the, in the hardest hit areas, and letting them have input on things that they think will work or things they think that their community needs. But it's also about um, identifying those that are really driving the crime in our neighborhood. Violent crime is committed by a really small group of people, but that small group can wreak a lot of havoc if gone unchecked. And it has so, gone unchecked. It, 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 it just has. And, you know, I, I, I feel like people want something for their information. And uh, so I was talking with C Sharp. I don't know if you know this guy. Uh, he's got a group called Protest That. Um, and, and he was upset that, you know, David Dorn, uh, Black Lives Matter didn't show up to, you know, to, to that, you know, that situation uh, in support of that, that great man. And so when you think of the violence that is in the city, Mary Pat, would, or Miss Carl, I should say, I'm so sorry. I just love your name, Mary Pat. Um, <laughs> you sister, can call me Mary Pat. Sister Mary Pat. No, um, it, 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 the thing is, is what is, why is this violence so much? Is it, is it, is it these people are just trying to survive? Is it they, they're, you know, taking from somebody else? It just seems like senseless violence every time we turn on the news. Right. And so it, it really is just this, this small group of people that are picking up guns to settle their dispute. But there are a lot of people that are getting caught in the crosshairs of those disputes of that violence. And right now we have a system that's broken down in communication. We've got a prosecutor who believes that she should have an adversarial relationship with the police department. We've got a, a prosecutor who isn't sharing information and cooperating with the court. So we've got to have all hands on deck. Everybody's got to work together to identify who those individuals are. And there's also, we haven't talked about this yet, there's this incredibly high turnover rate in the circuit attorney's office right now. Right. She's lost over 70 attorneys. Wow. And so some of the people trying these violent crimes are just young attorneys straight out of law school because of the low staffing. Well, it's and, like the police department. They're, they're having a heck of a time recruiting. Uh, I live in Jeff County, and I talk to the sheriff. I know Sheriff Marshak well, and he has a heck of a time trying to recruit. But when you do, fantastic. But a lot of times these are you know new recruits. They're brand new, so they don't know what to expect when they get there. Right. And, but we've never experienced that in the circuit attorney's office before. There have always been, you know, there's always been a wealth of knowledge there. And it's a very um, cooperative and sharing knowledge environment. But if you have all that knowledge, walk out the door, you've got these people left on their own. Well, witnesses, you know, St. Louis is a small town. Yes. And so witnesses know that. They know that, that when the circuit attorney's office is going into court, they're only winning half the time. You know, and if you had a 50-50 shot that the violent offender that you're testifying against is going to end up on your block the day after you testify because of a not guilty, you're not going into court. Right, right. So, you know, when this message gets out into the communities, people say, well, if I can't find justice in a courthouse, 
then I'm going to find it out out here on the street myself. And that's what happens when you tell people that the justice system doesn't work. Right, when we see that. Absolutely. And I mentioned C Sharp, the gentleman that uh, is part of the uh, protest, that organization, because he and I had a conversation on my program about um, uh, the incentive to find the criminals, and he mentioned Crime Stoppers is a great organization that uh, that will you know reward you, and you can you know p- submit information anonymously. Um, but I, I I just wish that there was more uh, freedom with sharing that information without fear. I, I completely agree with you. A criminal justice system can't work without those brave individuals who are willing to come forward yeah. and testify. Somebody knows something. Somebody always knows something. Exactly. You've been on vacation outside of St. Louis, right? And in years past, you know, you've been in wherever you've been, Mexico, wherever your family goes, Florida, whatever. And when people ask you where you're from, that there used to be such a pride in saying, I'm from St. Louis. We need to change that. We need to make it feel safe for people to travel to our area. I completely agree with you. I think we live in quite a remarkable town. We do. You know, when I get lucky, I live in, in the actual city. So when I say I'm from St. Louis and I'm somewhere else, they say, no, really, where do you live? And I say, no, really, I live <laughs> in St. Louis. And I'm so proud of that. You know, we have, we've got diversity of neighborhoods and so much personality that you can go anywhere in St. Louis, not to mention a really you know, lovely, gorgeous downtown with great things happening. Um, a lot of tech industry booming here, no. but you're right. We don't want to be known for our murder rate, especially no. when it really is a small group of people. But if we want to fix that, we've got to come together to do it. We need all hands on that. And you're ready. You're ready for this job. I am. I'm passionate about it. Well, this this city needs that same kind of passion that you have, I think, and I wish you well on the election. Is there anything that we're, that you have not been able to mention that you want to talk to as far as the people that are going to go to the, the polls on Tuesday that you would like to just put out there as your statement? I want people to go to the website, dig into my plan. There's, you know, there's something for everybody there and more than I could ever cover in a radio interview. It's marypatcarl.com. Look at what I want to tackle in the first 100 days. We need a circuit attorney with a plan to tackle the violence. Love it. Good luck to you. Mary Pat Carl, thank you for joining us on KMOX. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back after the top of the hour and visit with Jack Posobiec from One America News Network. We talked to him back during the early protesting and rioting that was going on, and he was the guy all the way in Washington, D.C., that set up a fundly, uh, fundraiser account for the family of David Dorn. You remember that story? We're going to give you an update on how much money's been raised and find out what else is going on at One American News Network next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. Thank you so much for tuning in. The last time we talked to uh, our next guest, Jack Posobiec, he had kicked off a, a fundraiser uh, for uh, Captain David Dorn, who was uh, killed in the line of duty. And I don't know if you've uh, checked that. Uh, I can tell you at the latest uh, right now, uh, Jack, you should be proud to start this fund because over 9,000 people have donated and they're up to $382,000 and some change and uh, still moving. you got two days left if people want to get in there. So thank you for starting that uh, from Washington, D.C., all the way here in little old St. Lou. You know, I have this uh, platform with One American News and then also with social media. I just, you know, I, I felt so terrible about what happened. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to sort of, you know, all I, all I did was set it up. And it was it was those 9,000 people and the small dollars that were coming in. And some of them not so small and just, just bringing it up. And, you know, some people did anonymously. Some people put their names up. Right. And, getting in touch with the family actually 
the amazing thing was that uh, the family then was able the Captain Durant's family was actually able to come to Washington, D.C. They did take part in uh, the Independence Day celebration, Fourth of July at the White House. They got invited and uh, they got to do all of that. And of course, the, the only problem with that was that I actually was out of town because they had me. Uh, the network actually had me up in um, Mount Rushmore. I was covering the, all the events up there. And so we have, you know, here, they come all the way to Washington, DC. And I was hoping to be able to get to get to see him. But then of course the network had me on the other side of the country. And you missed it by that much. However, uh, maybe you yeah. can make it into St. Louis uh, at some point. I do want to mention Jack. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to work on something. I, and I like St. Louis. I'm a huge fan of St. Louis. Absolutely. Jack is uh, from one American news network. Of course, uh, KMOX does a great job in our news department here on a local state and national basis and a, and a global basis. But one American news network, if you haven't you know, experienced it, I highly recommend it. It's one of my go-to channels now. And and uh, Jack, as I go to your website today and your app, I see that Chicago adds 200 police officers to downtown tourist area to make it safer. That doesn't sound like defunding the police, Jack. Well, it's really interesting, right? Because you've got a really interesting situation in uh, with some of these these city politicians now, where there's a very vocal base of people saying defund the police, defund the police. But poll after poll after poll is coming out saying that the majority of people who are maybe not so vocal do not want to do that. They don't want to defund the police. They don't like the idea of uh, reapportioning funds, right? They say, well, I'm not for defunding the police, but maybe we should re- reapportion the funds. And that's the same thing as defunding the police. Right, right. Uh, there, there's an understanding that, that violent crime does need a law enforcement hand to be able to step in and to deal with that. And, you know, whether there's different levels of training and different types of touches that can work, that's fine. But the majority of people are not interested in moving away from the concept of the police force. It's got to be like uh, uh, shooting fish in a barrel, because when you go into any city, there's been a lot of camera footage of man on the street reporting, asking the citizens of inner city uh, urban areas, uh, do you want to defund the police? They're like, no, we want a cop on every corner. I've seen that comment so many times because... What, they're the good guys. Who do you call? Who do you call when they're when something is going down? You call nine one one, and if there's nobody to answer that phone, uh, that's that's even in bigger trouble. But that was a headline from One American News Network that I wanted to point out. So I think that's great that Chicago is doing that. I think more cities need to do that. They need to have more people because I I, I live near St. Louis, twenty five thirty minutes outside of St. Louis. I don't want to go downtown. I just don't. Yeah, and that's just sad, right? And that's that's actually something I think is going to play a political role coming up. And we are, you know, it's funny enough, we're actually in an election. You know, I don't think anybody really knows how we're going to hold the election in November. That's still sort of a jump ball. But right. the there's always this question of suburban voters, right? What, how are the suburbs going to swing? Are the suburbs going to swing one way or another way? And, and so, so my family ha- is from the suburbs right outside of Philadelphia. So I understand the suburban mindset, right? Sure, sure. And... And even though, as you just said, they may live 25, 30 minutes out of the city, they still consider that their city. They root for that team. They, they think of those landmarks as, as their landmarks, the museums, the sites, et cetera, right? And for us, it's the Liberty Bell. For y'all, it's the Arch. 
our city has put so much money into the grounds at, at the at the arch that you know this year's Fourth of July celebration was supposed to be just unbelievable because Fair St. Louis is a giant event, and of course now it was turned into virtual because of coronavirus. But you know the city's just added the aquarium. We got now every major city's got an aquarium. We've got one. Haven't been to it yet. Uh, we've got a, a major league soccer uh, uh, stadium that's being built. And that's, you know, not expected to go open for a couple of years now um, because they're still trying to get a handle on what's going on. But I, I just wanted to reach out to you to find out, you know, what you guys are, you know, what your your beat is right now uh, with everything that's gone on with AG Bar, with the uh, big tech companies yesterday. It's just it's been crazy. It's all, all this distraction going on, you know. I don't know. I agree with you on that. And, and honestly, it's it's been kind of wild, you know, you know, some days I'm out there. And uh, I, I just did uh, three days, three nights out in Seattle. I was in the Chaz when that autonomous zone was set up. So we we're doing that. Then I was out covering um, Antifa here in D.C. They were going to take down a statue of Abraham Lincoln. And then they decided they couldn't get it down. So they they tried to take down me instead, try to knock me down the steps. And uh, and I do want to reference led, led that a big scuffle. Yeah. And I... then and then, you know, we've got a flex to, you know, uh, uh, spying on the on the president Trump and right. AG bar and big tech and got to, got to wear a lot of different hats uh, when you're, when you're working this, uh, this, this media right now. For anybody that has, uh, has ever said to me, oh, I don't think Antifa is a real thing. Antifa is a real thing. My question is number one, the rumor is, are they paid? Do they get paid for what they do? And number two, let's talk about you being attacked by them. Hey, well, I think that, that they are a decentralized network uh, is, an, is a phrase that we would use or an open source movement. So there's there isn't like a an overall head or something like that. Right. I mean, that's like asking who's the who's the head of conservatism, who's the head of the of liberalism. Right. It's it, it's a it's a movement more than any one specific group. Sure. In terms of funding, uh, the most pervasive funding that we've seen, at least in the current iteration, has been legal support that they're getting through this organization called the National Lawyers Guild, the NLG. And so any time that any of them are arrested, whether at the state level or uh, the federal level, they are then represented or given at least pro bono services from this organization. Wow. And so because they are ubiquitous to many of these protests that, that then turn violent, uh, it almost makes them feel as if they have a free hand to go commit what they call direct action. Direct action, of course, means violence against property or violence against individuals like myself. Well, and and the, uh, the story that you guys have, uh, Chicago adding 200 police officers to downtown tourist area, uh, it speaks to just that. They say that the criminals, uh, whoever they are, they're, they're, they're just getting bolder. They're growing bolder and they're doing more violent uh, things to you know innocent civilians so it's it's frightening but let's talk about that attack you had this is only a one-time deal for you uh the antifa attack on you uh actually a second time believe it or not uh first one was back in 2017 same group and uh you know that that guy did uh didn't end up serving time i did you know press charges all the way through appeared at the trial and uh he he copped a a, a plea deal and uh did see some jail time after he broke probation and then this time around it's uh it's the same different individual but but the same group and uh yeah i was i was covering this event where they were talking about pulling down a statue of abraham lincoln one right. that had actually been dedicated by by frederick Douglass of all people uh it's actually the original uh lincoln memorial this one was put up in the 1870s about 50 years prior to the, the actual you know lincoln memorial that we all 
uh, we all know today. But this one is on the other side of town. It's one statue of Lincoln um, with a with a freed, you know, sort of freedman sitting next to him who's, sure. who's rising from it from from his feet. And uh, you know, we were covering the, the situation because it actually got kind of contentious because there were some people there who were saying, no, we want to keep the statue. And other people were saying that we wanted to take it down. So the crowd was sort of split. Then all of a sudden, so I guess Antifa realized they weren't going to get the statue down. So they see me and they recognize me from One American News and they just came straight at me and they tried to push me down. Uh, the layout there is there's these concrete steps. There's then a concrete uh, platform and a lower platform. So they were trying to push me down. To, you know, I'm not wearing any protective uh, clothing or anything. I was just showed up for work. You weren't even and, wearing a uh, mask, by the way. I saw that. No, no, no. Well, I was, you know, we're outside in the park and, uh, you know, in, in the daytime. So it was really just, uh, you know, really just there doing the job. Right. And, you know, they tried to they tried to push me down onto the concrete. Um, what you know, but I, I actually said to the guys, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to run away. I'm also but I also I also didn't want to provoke. I also didn't want to escalate. You know, people said, hey, Jack, when they started shoving you, why don't you take a swing at them? Why do you something? I said, look, my son's going to be watching this someday. I got a two year old. We got another kid on the way. Um, he's going to say, Dad, why didn't you do that? I said, because because I want you to understand that you can solve problems without resorting to violence. Absolutely. And, you know, what these guys were doing wasn't, you know, didn't rise to the level of what I considered something that I would really need to fight back against. Well, and so, you know, in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic and I was just, I was actually just doing the prayer to St. Michael in my head, you know, over and over, you know, uh, St. Michael, the archangel defend us in battle, etc. And he protected you. You got out of there. Uh, you got out of there uh, with the, uh, the one gentleman that uh, does the tours in that right. area. And, uh, and he was almost like a, a guardian angel that just plopped right down in front of you. Well, I, I, I do believe that God works in mysterious ways. And I think that, uh, I think you put them there in that moment. And it was, he was working through maybe both of us in that moment. Boy, ain't that the truth. This is Bill Matthews and my guest, Jack Posobiec from One American News Network. We've got more with him coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We're talking to Jack Posobiec of One American News Network. Um, Jack, looking forward, uh, we are less than 100 days out from the election. Um, and what is, what is the the consensus of your network on how things are going to get there? Mail-in balloting is going to work. It's not going to work. Um, obviously, you don't make up the news, but you report on the news. How do you how do you see us getting closer and closer to election day for the president of the United States in this crazy time we're living in? Well, we do have a very strong network of sources here in Washington D.C. on on both sides of the aisle. Uh, as everybody knows, we also have a good. A relationship with the White House, and so really, what we're seeing though is is that the president and and all officials are are working to continue to hold the election on uh, that November third date. Um, but really, the concern is ballot integrity and uh, and election fraud. And so, this idea that some states are pushing, and you're seeing some individuals talking about about mail-in ballots, mm -hmm. this idea that ballot, which is very different than an absentee ballot. And so uh, some people don't understand the difference. An absentee ballot, you have to request as someone who's already been registered to vote. Mail-in ballots means that you will be sent, everyone in the state right. would be sent a ballot, which means you're going to have duplicates of ballots just being sent everywhere in the entire state, which opens up your aperture for potential uh, fraud. misuse and potential fraud yeah, yeah. to to an incredible degree degree which you know would would almost make the election seem not plausible now other states uh, my home state of pennsylvania held their 
their primary. They did go in person. They were you, you know, we saw people using uh, they were wearing masks. We saw people using the plexiglass where they needed to interact with the with the judge of elections, et cetera. It, it is doable. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that if we do practice social distancing, that, you know, if we wear masks where appropriate, that it is conceivable that we can still hold the election, do it in person and do it on election day. And, and if there's people who are, are worried about uh, about COVID for, for health purposes, well, that is why we have the absentee ballot program in the first place. It is. And, you know, the, that is one thing that came up into my mind early on in coronavirus time was, oh, my goodness, it's always all old retired people that are the election judges when you go to the polling place. How is this going to roll out? Are they going to get, you know, younger people in there to do it? Are they, but you said, you know, states are already doing the plexiglass thing. So, you know, to keep those people safe. But anytime I've gone to the voting uh, booth, it's always been occupied or, you know, uh, it's been taken care of by older retired Americans. Yeah, that is typically a demographic you see uh, that that's working this. And so, you know, that's obviously going to be a situation that's up to each state. Sure. And it, those are volunteer positions uh, in some in some areas. They they are they are an elected position. Um, however, you know, it's certainly a possibility where if people don't want to volunteer, they don't have to. If they want to appoint someone as a deputy, I'm sure they will be able to. Uh, we've got to be able to hold legal elections. Uh, now, of course, the president tweeted this morning about the potential for uh, delaying an election. Of course, elections are held at the state level. They're not held at the federal level, so he doesn't have any direct ability to do that. But you know, I had some reporters reaching out to me and said, oh, do you think this is possible? Could he do this? And I pointed out, you know, Poland actually delayed their presidential election by some uh, six weeks. Wow. Um, during, yeah, they were going to hold it in, um, in May. They ended up holding it in July instead. And so it's it's not without precedent that that elections have been delayed due to COVID. And that's simply because this is a you know, it, it is a very dangerous, but also a virus that we're not really sure everything about. You know, the data is still being collected. And so you know, if there's a situation, then it, it certainly wouldn't be beyond reason to do that. Now, the mechanics of it, that, of course, like, would be all up in the air. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm worried one way or the other, whether, you know, when Election Day happens, whether it's uh, Trump or Biden, it's just I, I, you don't know what the world's going to look like on that day. But, you know, with uh, uh, President Trump putting that out in a tweet, um, it, it's basically it's more of a suggestion, right? I mean, the, delay the election until people can properly, securely and safely vote. It, it, again, you, he doesn't rule over that. It's more of a suggestion. I mean, he, this is one of those moments when he just, you know, pontificates and just throws something out on Twitter and people go, what? You know, well, he's, he's a provocateur. I it, mean, yeah, there's, there's no question about it. But, you know, part of the you know, part of the interesting side of that is, you know, he is starting a conversation. And quite frankly, this is a conversation that we need to be having as a nation, because, look, you know, this is the right to vote. This is, you know, when we talk about our democracy, when we talk about what makes us different from authoritarian regimes like totalitarian China, and what they're doing in Hong Kong now, the difference is our right to vote. Yeah. And so that means the integrity of our ballots, that means preventing fraud, and that means getting all of the votes counted in a safe and reasonable manner come election day. And if we do that during a pandemic, you know, there obviously are going to have to be some conversations and some some tough calls that need to be made. That's a great point. Okay, before we go, I got one more question about One American News Network. Uh, because we're seeing on all the other networks about polling and Biden's leading by double digits in so many states and all this stuff. W how do you guys at your network deal with polls? Because we can all go back to election night 2016 when the polls were saying that it's going to be President Clinton uh, and it didn't happen that way. 
Uh, from that night, I personally don't even pay attention to poll information that comes out. Uh, how do you guys feel about polls? I mean, we as a as a network do contract out for for a number of polls, and you can you can find those in our coverage. But for myself personally, looking at uh, President Trump and in in the past candidate Trump, one thing that really occurred during 2016 was that he was able to mobilize a voting block of non-traditional voters, first-time voters, sure. uh, people who in some cases were registered as independents because they, they hadn't hadn't voted in the past. And so that's a demographic of people that he's able to reach into because of his his cultural uh, his cultural background and his, his his celebrity that I think doesn't necessarily get tracked very well by traditional polling because traditional polling methodologies, you're looking at someone who's voted in one of the past two elections. Well, if you don't have that information because they're a first time <laughs> voter, right. then how are, how are you going to be able to track that? And so it, it's not something that you're lo- dealing with what we would call in the, in the political world, a different universe of people. True. And uh, because of that, I think that some of the previous polling methods came up short and obviously came up short in 2016, but there were a few that were close. Rasmussen got very close in terms of the uh, overall, uh, the national vote. But then of course we don't, we don't go by the popular vote in this country using electoral college. Uh, and also the, uh, the LA times got it pretty close as well. Yeah. I'm, you make a good point. Cause uh, uh, students for Trump, I follow them on Instagram. Uh, they probably didn't vote in the last election. So, Hey, uh, good luck to them and in, in being polled. Uh, Jack Basobic, thank you so much for your time. One American news network is where you can find him. And uh, hopefully we can uh, chat once again uh, here real soon. Uh, uh, you said you had a baby on the way. We do. Yeah, we're do we're doing November. I said, I what? said, sweetheart. Or, or excuse me, excuse me. We're actually doing December. Excuse me. Oh, I, okay. I was, was going to make a joke because I was going to say, sweetheart, no babies in November. Got to do it after the <laughs> yeah. election. We're going to be a little busy, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, hold on there, darling. And if it hold does, on. and if hold it does, on. if it does come in November, uh, maybe you'll name the baby after the president, whoever that might be. I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, we'll flip a coin yeah, on that. Don't bring that one home. <laughs> All right, Jack, thanks for everything, and we'll talk soon, okay? Appreciate it, Bo. Well, I'm Bo Matthews, and something you may not know about me is I have a huge respect for artists. And artist is a broad term, right? It could be actors, comedians. I've had them as my guests, musicians on my show. I'm married to an artist. She paints paintings. I believe artists truly document the world around us, uh, and they've always done that in human history. We've got another St. Louis musician, John Gaynor, will be my guest next. He wrote a song a few years back uh, with support of our law enforcement. We're going to hear a bit of the song, and we're going to talk to John as well next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Everybody thinks he's crazy, but to him, it's just a way of life. That is the voice of a longtime friend and St. Louis musician, songwriter, John Gaynor. That is a song that he wrote uh, several years ago uh, called The Thin Blue Line. And uh, my, my experience in editing video uh, has just stepped up a notch because uh, he actually recorded a video. Uh, we did that, uh, geez, almost a year and a half ago in my home and i want you to check out the video on my facebook page just search bo matthews and you'll find the video of john gainer singing uh, thin blue line and as a special guest on my program is john gainer john how are you man 
Good. How are you doing? Bro? I'm good. I bet you were shocked when I sent you the YouTube link for your video because uh, it was so long ago that uh, we recorded that together, February of 2019. What, what what was your first thought when? I mean, what did you say to your wife when when you saw the link in your phone? Well, I didn't see the link. My wife saw it. Okay. She called me. She called me in hysterics, and all my daughters called me. They're like, yeah, uh, Dad, you're you're on YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, really? Let me see what it is. And I said, I and, and then I watched the video, and and I loved every minute of it. But uh, it was so long ago, Bo. I thought I, I forgot I wrote it. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing that struck me so much when I heard it, and I, I heard the song about 17 times because I was learning, I was teaching myself through YouTube University how to edit videos, and I listened to the word so many times, and it's so powerful. I want to go back to the origins of. Uh, when you wrote that song, uh, what, 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 do you know, do you know where you were, what was going through your mind? Cause it's just beautiful and it's in support of our, our great law enforcement that we have in this country. Yes, it is. And, um, I really, really support our police, um, department. I was probably in my house. I think when I wrote the first line and I, I wanted, I was thinking about the thin blue line. And I was thinking about why they're not getting respect that they deserve. But now the narrative is, you know, there's the cops are just, you know, they're almost monsters now. Right. That's that's what they want yeah. you to believe anyway. But but uh, how many years ago was this uh, that you wrote the song? Right after Ferguson. Oh, wow. Uh, which I think was maybe 2014. That was August of 2014. So you're thinking maybe within that first six months after Ferguson? Uh, yeah, I think I wrote it right right around Christmas time. You know, and at that time, I'll tell you, it was amazing how many, you know, restaurants uh, were, you know, helping feed the police officers. Police officers were coming in from all over to help uh, with the shifts because, you know, the police officers have their normal uh, jurisdictions and municipalities that they have to police. But then they were all doing overtime, you know, coming in from Jeff County, St. Charles County. They were all coming in to help what was going on in Ferguson. Of course, now it's a, a totally different world in 2020. So you're not you're not a police officer, but you have family that, that do serve, correct? I have family that does serve. My son-in-law is a police officer. Oh, thank um, you. Thank him for his service. Well, I will. And uh, I, in, in the music business, I have met a lot of police officers. Sure. I just, I just support them. Now, you said that Ferguson, everybody come down there and join together, and they did. People don't realize when you see a, something like that on TV or even live if you're down there, these people running from it. And you, all you see the police officers do is running to it. Yeah, police officers are just uh, being just drugged through the mud right now, and it, it's sad. It's really sad because the kids growing up. You know, I seen a thing on the news the other day where there's children flipping off police officers. Oh, I saw that, and they were see- they were screaming things too that were vulgar. Oh, they, yeah. They, well, hopefully they edited it out. I didn't hear what they were screaming. But oh, I, I heard it. I heard it. And the parents are right behind them. Oh, they were telling them what to say. And I mean, we're talking two-year-olds holding signs and yes. saying what was on those signs I saw, and it was just horrible. As a matter of fact, a part of your song, I want to play a little snippet of it. It, it talks about the kids. Tell me about that line about the crayons. We teach them colors just a crayon, and all God's children matter in his eyes. The first line, though, was really important is we, if we all lead by example, the kids could have a better way of life. Ain't that the truth? Well, here, we'll take a listen to that little bit right there of that line. If we all live by example, 
John, I'm telling you, I know KMOX is a talk station. It's a news station. Legit. They've been around, you know, a hundred years. They do, you know, we do a great job on, on the news and uh, I'm the guy that's bringing in a little bit of music for your entertainment purposes, but this song goes further than entertainment. It's about supporting our police department. So I want to, I really want to uh, have people go to Facebook, find my Facebook page, B-O-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S, see John's video for a song he wrote back in 2015 uh, or late 2014 called The Thin Blue Line, and share it. Share it to your law enforcement friends or those that support the law enforcement. I just think it's important. Uh, but but I, I do want to explain, John, we go back uh, a long time. I've been in St. Louis since 88. You uh, Were you born and raised here? Yes, I was. People might know you from uh, the clubs. Uh, name off uh, name off a couple of clubs you played uh, on a regular basis around here. We played out in Sullivan, Missouri. We played the Country Bumpkin. We played uh, the White Swan. We played Jersey Lil here in St. Louis. Oh, boy. And we were house band there, and then we switched to house band to uh, South 40. And there's a confusion because there's there's two band, there, there's two very similar named bands in town. Uh, yours was the seconds band. Nope. Ours was the second hand band. I always screw that up. <laughs> and then the seconds bands, which are really good friends of mine at that time, are, are the seconds band. Okay, the seconds band is, interesting thing about those guys, phenomenal players, phenomenal performers. I don't even know where those guys are right now, and if they're listening, I love you. I've always loved every performance they've done, but several, uh, I think a few of their members were actually blind. Yeah, and, they were blind, and they were some of the nicest guys that I've probably ever met. Absolutely. I don't know where they're at now, but if they are listening, a shout out to them. Okay, well, if you've ever, uh, you know, did a little line dancing back in the day, it was John Gaynor and the Second Hand Band, and uh, and so that's who this is right here that I'm talking to. John, it is really good to talk to you. I really appreciate your time, and man, keep writing. Can I say one more thing, Bo? Sure. A reason, another reason I wrote that song is I I thought I think about every police officer that gets up in the morning and drives to work. Now, just think if you had a job where you had to think, am I going to make it home tonight? <laughs> I've thought about it a lot, man. I don't know how they're doing it, especially with the attitude that a lot of people are giving them. Uh, but I truly believe that the, the the majority of this country is all about law and order, and we can't have any of that without our men and women in uniform. All I can tell you, and put it this way, if people don't like law enforcement now, they're going to hate martial law. <laughs> wow. Wow. See, I'll tell you what, there's something about artists. They, they, they know how to phrase things. They know how to say things differently. And uh, with music, you've definitely done that. Uh, John, take care of yourself. Let's talk soon. And let's uh, get together and break bread one of these days here in person if, whenever we can. You got it, Bo. All right. We're going to uh, take out this break with uh, a little bit more of Thin Blue Line. Check me out on Facebook, uh, Bo Matthews, and you'll be able to see the whole video in its entirety. Oh, it's a thin blue line we take for granted Well, life, we couldn't live without it Just another reason why it's a land of free All right, it's another bow on the go stop. And uh, some people might think that my allegiance is to Jefferson County because that's where I live. But but actually, the stop that I'm on right now actually is in Jefferson County, but it originated in the city of St. Louis. And I want to introduce you to Tom. He owns the Iron Barley in Jefferson County. Uh, Tom, welcome to KMOX. And where were you located so people can kind of get a reference? Where were you located when you were in the city? Well, hey, Bo, thanks for having me. Yeah, Bo. Uh, We were... 
Southside, through Southside down in Virginia and Bates. And how long were you there? Oh, 14, almost 15 years. And how long you been out here? Been out here for three years. Now, you never did have two locations at one no. time, right? Never, no. Okay. And, uh, and just the opportunity came up and you said, I want to move out there? We were looking for something a little more rural with with space that was still close to civilization. Yeah. Well, I've been hearing about uh, the Iron Barley Buffet lately, and I've been into this place a couple of times in the last couple of years with uh, some friends over in Eureka. Uh, they've got a great chili dog. you got all this great food. But I'm hearing about this buffet, and I'm like, how are the heck are they doing that, especially during this coronavirus time? And you have a lunch lady is what, they call, what they're what they calling her. Yeah, it's, it's like back to school <laughs> right. when you go through. It's more cafeteria style. You know, you still come back. Uh, everybody's, you know, gloved up. Ready to go, paper plates. So yeah, so you're adhering to the rules that the county's putting out there. But the great thing is, is the food. Now, this is my first experience with the buffet today with your lunch lady. What's her name, by the way? Uh, Angie. Okay, Angie's doing a great job. Uh, the fried chicken, the meatloaf was over the top. Um, I got a buddy that says the some of the smoked uh, chicken pot pie. That's Tuesdays. What is what? So that okay. So I missed it by a little bit. But what's smoked chicken pot pie? I don't even get that. Well, our chicken, our oak roasted chicken, you know, all cooked off. Oh, that's the, the meats. Part. The meat's pulled, you know, and then cooked up with all the vegetables, you know, pie crust. Okay, so if people that watch uh, the TV uh, shows that feature food, I've been told you've been featured on a couple of them. Can you talk about that experience? Well, yeah, well, they were a long time ago, you know. You know what? They still replay them, though, I hear. They, they, they run Fast Eddie still all the time. Not as often as I would like, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're on KMOX, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they aired back in uh, 2008, 2009, okay. Diners, Drivers, and Dives, and uh, The Man Vs. Food. Uh, now, what was The Man Vs. Food? Uh, well, back then during the show, he'd stop at a couple places, and then he'd have his challenge. at. Right. At, no, I know the show, but what, what was your challenge? Uh, the challenge was at the Crown Candy Kitchen. He came oh. in and sampled uh, the Oak Rose Pork Loin. And uh, the Monte Cristo hot dog. So it was just the fact that he was in the area? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he does the whole city. I believe he was at Pappy's. Okay. Also. Okay, what's that? Pointer's Pizza? Have you heard of Pointer's Pizza? Remember that place? Yeah. On Big Ben, the 36-inch? Oh, boy. Now, do you, you don't have a competition meal here, do you? No, that's just too much. But, you know, there's some fellas come in that I'm sure that could compete. Well, you got a buffet, and you can have all you want yeah. for the price, right? All, all you can eat. Now, tell me about the Iron Barley's history of championships in the, in the competition business. Are you, are you part of that world? Uh, I was. You know, it, it's been a while. Uh, it, was, it was great to get out. It was a good excuse to get out sure. and have fun doing it. But, you know, they started sucking the fun out of it, yeah. going down the line, and, you know, and it's an expensive hobby. And all you want to do is feed the masses. That's it. So where did you get the, the niche to, to cook? You know, my dad grounded me for a summer, and the only way out of the house was to get a job. And you did. <laughs> and I did. Wow. So you've been doing this a long time, man. Yeah. That's fantastic. What's your favorite part of it? You just seeing new faces come in or watch, watching people go out of here and take a nap? or uh, Just seeing people happy. That's cool. And food definitely does that. More more now than ever, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, it's, it's tough to get out. It's tough to, you know, everything's different. Okay, your social media stuff, how do people find the Iron Barley now that you're in High Ridge? I can give directions off 30 and PP and all. It's the old Marty's, if you remember that. What a great old guy he was. Yeah. Did you know him personally? I, I didn't know him personally. You know, I'd, I'd been in here a few times over the years, usually like on a bet way back from a float trip or something. Sure, so sure. you know the condition you're in at that. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm sure I met him through that, but uh, 
this came on the market. Well, I think you're a great replacement for Marty, and he'd be proud of what you're doing here today. The food is fantastic. And, I mean, the meatloaf. Even your even your lunch lady says, I don't like meatloaf, and I love that meatloaf. Uh, so your recipes, are you always creating, do you think? Well, I'm always thinking. Yeah. You know, you got you, you got to stay on top. So, okay, I didn't have dessert today, but you had the waitress come over. Well, she came over two or three times. Are you sure you don't want the dessert? You sure you don't want the Tell me about the desserts here. Well, dessert's my wife. Is in it's all her. It, it, it's all her. Her cheesecakes, her ice cream. Got her new ice cream machine that's sitting over there. You got her an ice cream machine? She makes it? Yeah, she makes she makes all the ice creams. How long have you been with her? Uh, 33 years this year. Wow, congratulations, man. That's fantastic. And we work together every day. How about that? You know, that's surprising. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, any Anything else that the people should know about the Iron Barley other than coming out here? Uh we're here. We're open. Live music? Uh, guitar guys on Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. So it's if you're looking for a place to get out to, you can get out at the Iron Barley and uh, come see Tom and his crew. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm impressed with, like I said, the food. Um, and years ago at Marty's, they did the karaoke. They had bands roll through here all the time. But you're really just about the food for the most part and the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Most, yeah. You know, ambience, you know, it's a whole package, you know, which has made this Corona thing tough because... You can't put all that in a to-go box. Well, yeah, you're right there. And, you know, the Bow and the Go Stop, I really do like to feature the mom and pops. And uh, and it's it's refreshing to know that you guys are surviving. Uh, but you, the only way to survive is to have more people come and eat, right? That's right. You know, we're here. We're in. We're, we're going to distance. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's hard for so many people. Tom, Iron Barley on Facebook, all over the place. Just search Iron Barley. Yeah, face, Facebook mostly is where all our stuff's at. Okay. My wife does. I'm not allowed to touch electronics. So she's in charge of social media and desserts. Yeah. Nothing else. No, oh, everything else. Oh. <laughs> I know. I'm married, man. I'm married. Tom from the Iron Barley, get in the car, go for a ride, and uh, come on out and see him out in High Ridge, Missouri. You will absolutely love it. And that is a bow in the go stop on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I'll tell you what, if you have an idea for a bow in the go stop, please reach out to me on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, if you'd like. You can reach out to me. Just find me at Bo Matthews, B-O-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S. And uh, we'll see if we can get out to a mom-and-pop business that you know. And it doesn't have to be a restaurant, although that's been my theme for the last several weeks. Uh, but please, reach out, and uh, maybe we can stop by your hardware store, um, machine shop, whatever it is. Uh, just trying to keep mom-and-pops in the forefront of our uh, of our, our culture because we want them to survive. This country has been built on mom-and-pop businesses, and we want to do that. Now, before I get done, I do want to mention we have another food fight. And before I tell you the category that it is, I'm going to tell you that uh, the chicken leg has got the raw end of the deal for years. Okay, And I mean, by comparison, the chicken wing or the chicken leg. They don't have uh, chicken leg restaurants anywhere. Although, many years ago, I was in uh, talks with Tony Twist, if you remember that guy from the blues. He and I, had we were almost to the point of we were going to open a restaurant. We even had a name. We had an idea of, of uh, you know gourmet chicken legs with different recipes and different sauces. We even had a name for the business. It was going to be called Bonies, Bo and Tony's Bonies. Um, because when we were kids, him and I were just talking one night, and when we were kids... Everybody fought over the chicken legs. Do you remember fighting over the chicken legs? Okay, you probably do. Now, do you remember anybody fighting over the chicken wings? No. But for some reason, somehow, somebody in Buffalo, New York, got the idea to feature chicken wings. And I love me some chicken wings. Don't get me wrong. Um, But the chicken wings won out. The chicken legs off to the wayside. 
I will tell you that our next food fight at KMOX is who has the best chicken wings in town. And it could be from both sides of the river. you got a favorite little mom-and-pop place you like to go to. I like to go to Case and Bucks and Barnhart for chicken wings. They've got great wings. They've got so many different sauces, too. Uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings, of course, is, is a whole franchise with, you know, so many different sauces from, you know, mild to, you know, rip-your-head-off uh, kind of heat. And I do like spice, but I don't like pain. But we're looking for the mom and pops. Uh, somebody, Cat uh, Thomas, actually suggested Flannery's on Wash Avenue. He says they've got great wings. Uh, my buddy Chris says Edgewood Wild uh, Bistro and Tap and Creep Corps got smoked wings. They are delicious. And I, by the way, I do love, I do love naked wings. There's no breading. It's just maybe some uh, rub, spice rub. Fantastic. Uh, Carol here at KMOX. Carol Daniel says she loves Peelwood Fired Pizza. They've got great wings on the east side in O'Fallon, Illinois. Uh, my buddy Hayes says DB's and Soulard has the best in the city hands down. Well, if you're thinking to yourself of your favorite place to get wings, we want to know about it, and we want you to get a vote in for KMOX's Food Fight at KMOX.com. My name is Bo Matthews. I really do hope you have a great rest of your weekend. We will talk soon. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.